Ahoy Mets fans, welcome to episode 239 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, I'll be your host today, thank you for joining us. So the Mets are in kind of a weird position right now, they are, uh, they won their weekend series against the Angels, uh, and as we're recording, they have split the series so far against the Padres uh, with some questionable bullpen choices, but you know. This is a Terry Collins managed Mets team, so that's to be expected. Uh, but first up on the podcast today, Chris McShane and I talk about the last week or so that was the Mets, and uh, let's get to that right now. So, Chris, I have a novel idea to begin our podcast with tonight. All right. Why don't the Mets just forfeit every Sunday game from now on? <laughs> I mean, it would save the bullpen. It would really help a lot of people. Yeah, and you might be able to not even have to worry about who the fifth starter is. That's true. That's true. I'm, I might have stumbled on something here. Yeah. Uh, Sundays have been rough the last uh, month or so. Yeah, it's one of those weird things that, you know, you get into interesting, unique, random baseball stats, but I don't know. You, you, you know, you, you try to, like, brush away those silly ideas that oh this team plays great on Tuesdays or whatever but man it just I don't know yeah I could do without uh, I'm glad I don't have a Sunday plan at City <laughs> Field right now yeah. I guess is what I'm saying uh, one of my first pieces I wrote for Amazing Avenue was uh, examining how the Mets had not lost while wearing camo in uh, 2015 <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, speaking of which, they're like they're not wearing camo this year, right? Maybe that's the secret here. Maybe we got to bring back the camo. <laughs> it's a good thing Eric doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> I mean, the camo is atrocious. Let's not get something wrong here, but if right. it, think about it, the last two years they wore camo. What happened in the last two years? Uh, you, I mean, they ultimately lost in the playoffs, but you know, they they well, yeah, no, they no, made I it. Mean, yes. I feel like it's a really good example, and Jersey talk is exactly what we were planning on tonight, but, <laughs> but I feel like it's a good example of when things are going good, you don't hear about it, and when, and, you know, when things are going bad, you hear all about it. Uh, ditching camo uniforms completely for this year is something I think I don't remember even hearing was going to be a thing. No, I don't think I heard it either. You know, it was uh, Military Mondays or whatever they called it. And, you know, certainly shouldn't be misconstrued as anything about the military or the people who serve in it at all. Camo jerseys are just a gimmick, really, you know, and and not really an appealing one visually. You, you You can do all of the good things that are supposedly associated with them without actually wearing them and and just looking silly on the field. This is probably an incorrect statement, but I'm going to say it anyway. I also feel like I don't know anybody, and I know a lot of veterans. I don't know a single veteran that walks around wearing camo all the time. I feel like some of the people who weren't in the military wear to try and appear like they're more in the military. I don't know. This yeah. Is, we're, we're probably getting into an area that we shouldn't really be getting into, so... Well, no, no, but they, I, I think overall it's a fair point that just, I don't know, sports teams wearing camo is weird. And it's like, oh, this is a, you know, 
that this is a, a tribute or whatever, you know, when you when you talk about things and and what's serious in life and what isn't, you know, there's there's sort of that separation of uh, you know sports as a battle and a war and that you know that whole like analogy, right? So that's weird, but then I, I don't know. I guess I'm I'm not I'm not sad that the Mets are not wearing camo this year. <laughs> is my point? Yeah. Except the fact that they they didn't lose in it in 2015. Right. Yeah. In which case, uh, I will go back to my 18 year old self and say, "Let's be superstitious and you know <laughs> exactly <laughs> eat the same food and bring back the camo uniforms." Yeah. <clears throat> Well, you know, uh, we alluded to it at the start of the show. The Mets won two of three this weekend from the Angels. Uh, they lost the third one pretty, pretty big, though. Um, and before that, the Mets were swept in a series. Um, Who did they get swept by last? I'm totally blanking on it. Uh, <laughs> uh... Diamondbacks. Yes, Diamondbacks. And, and before that was... Um... Brewers. Yeah. Yeah, they had lost seven in a row, and then won two, and then lost on Sunday. Um, right. In fairness to us, those are like two forgettable franchises overall. <laughs> that That is very fair. Um, but yeah, they got right back to when they're good, they're winning two out of three, and then usually winning games one and two, and then getting just <laughs> obliterated or <laughs> or heartbroken in game three. Yeah. Yeah, game three has been tough so far this year. Um, a common denominator in uh, in a couple of the Mets' Sunday losses. Uh, not Sunday losses, sorry. A couple of the Mets' uh, losses lately has been Tommy Malone. Uh, he pitched decently well in his first game as a Met and then has been downright atrocious the last two starts that he has made. Um Conflicting reports came out today. Some said that the Mets will let him make his next start. Others said that he will likely uh, be done as a Met, uh, you know, shortly. Now, this isn't like the Mets have, you know, Doc Gooden on the farm waiting to come up and they're and they're uh, letting Malone start in place of a, a great, great pitcher. The Mets are pretty banged up pitching-wise right now. They're waiting for folks to come back. Would a fourth Tommy Malone start be the worst thing in the world? No, it certainly wouldn't, especially when the other name being banded about perhaps is Tyler Pill. Right, right yeah. Uh, but if you were Sandy Alderson, as I always say, you're wearing a great sweater vest right now, a fleece vest of some <laughs> sort. Uh, do you let Tom, Do you release Tommy Malone or do you let him make his next start? Yeah, DFAM. Yeah. And I like I I understand where we are, you know. Back in spring training, I was ready to hop aboard the Rafael Montero is maybe a major league pitcher again train, but that train was so appealing for about eight days. Yeah, but I I understand where we are with that. But he may be a better pitcher than Tommy Malone at this point. Uh, and yeah, I I. You know, Tyler Pill may be better or worse than that. I, I really don't know. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I I'd be willing to move on from Malone only because it's a spot on the forty. You know, less importantly, slightly, it's a spot on the uh, the active roster. And yeah, I I just I don't know. I'm not interested in seeing more. Blame for that. <laughs> I think it's it's pretty clear that. The last two starts have been, I mean, absolutely atrocious. Uh, on Sunday, I was not home, and I was in an area with, with pretty spotty cell reception, and so I didn't see the score for quite some time. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, oh, yeah, Tommy Malone started today. That's why the <laughs> score is like that. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, I, it is what it is, right? The team goes through these stretches, there's somebody who shouldn't be starting, starting some games. We're all used to this, but I am in no rush to uh, to run him out there for another start. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in isolation, if the bullpen weren't generally overworked, uh, and, and even though the bullpen is not in great shape overall, just in terms of who's on the roster right now, uh, but it, if they had normal workloads and – all of that, what have you, as uh, Sandy Alderson would say. <laughs> um, a, a bullpen game every fifth day with a normal bullpen would probably be preferable to any of the current options for fifth starter. And, yeah, I, I don't know what that says, but it's just uh, it, it, it sucks to go into a game feeling like the offense has been good, but feeling like the offense has to be outstanding that day for the team to, like, hang in there. Well, I said this on Mother's Day to my wife and daughter who were watching the Mets game with me, and I said, you know, the Mets scored nine runs and they're going to lose this game. And that's just an unbelievable thing to have to say out loud because with the pitching this team was supposed to have, if they scored nine runs you would expect it to be you know an absolute laugher and that those just don't come anymore for us it appears uh not lately at least um so I, I guess that this begs the question you know the answer can't be trade for Clayton Kershaw but what is your short-term solution here Chris what would you what would you advocate the Mets doing like you said having a bullpen day isn't really an option unless you somehow give the bullpen a week off Right. So, 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 so what, what, what would you do short term? How would you begin to write this ship? Hmm. Well, I guess to the Mets' credit, that's not an easy question to answer. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it, it seems like Stephen Matz could be back soon, right? So, you're in a spot where maybe you can get away with waiting for that and and you know not in the sense that you're waiting until uh until things really go south but you know obviously they they have the off day here in the, in this last week of may um they've got one in the second week of june the first full week of that month you know maybe you can sort of dance around that a little bit but I don't know. You can't really realistically just go with a four-man rotation 
over the next month. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, it could just be a, a, a process of trying out different random guys who you have, who you think, you know, may make it as major leaguers who are in the organization already. Um, and, and then, you know, in terms of trades with the two wild card format, it's sort of a double edged sword for a team that's in the position the Mets are in right now. You know, it's nice to know that that is a potential way to get into the postseason in a year that has not gone according to plan so far. But there also aren't that many teams who are completely out of it. And, you know, the Padres, who the Mets are, uh, you know, facing this week, they're a bad team. They're not going anywhere, but they don't have a pitcher who, to me, is uh, it's appealing. It's upgrade, yeah. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's a solution that is realistic uh, in in the short term. You know, if the Braves were to get sick of Bartolo Colon, who has really struggled in his time there, and like DFA him, then, hey, you know, sign me up. Bring him back here and, and see what he can do. But... You know, I just don't think that's something that's going to happen. Um, so here's my question. We know the Mets have been very, very reluctant to bring up Dom Smith or Ahmed Rosario. Uh, as Alderson says, they don't pitch, so that they don't have a place in the team right now. Obviously, part of that is, is Super 2 status related. But is there any pitching prospect the Mets have that you think Alderson would be as worried about wasting service time for? Uh, not at the moment. I mean, it's just sort of this gap between, you know, the the wave of pitchers who graduated and, and became the starting rotation, and then maybe some of the more exciting pitchers who are, you know, in the minor leagues right now. Right. So, you know, if I'm looking down the list – the guys who I think might have a chance to be significant players there, they're just not, they're either not near the majors or not exciting enough. You know, there there's, there are definitely guys in the middle and lower levels of the system who could be viable major league starters someday, but there's not a Jose Fernandez type Right. And, you know, I mean, it, it. when the Marlins called him up <clears throat> from high A, that worked out extremely well. Um, but that's not a normal move, and it's not a normal move for, for a reason. Right. So. No, because the reason I'm asking is that if there's nobody that the Mets are going to be that precious with um, service time constraints, then isn't your average – triple-A starting pitcher on the same probable talent level as a Tommy Malone? And if yeah. that's the case, then why not just call up, you know, one of their Vegas starters right now and give roll the dice on that? Right. Yeah, I mean, so you sort of have this weird uh, context of it all where Seth Lugo had a pretty 
shitty ERA in AAA, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he came up, and that didn't really matter. And whether or not he was really that good, we don't know. We have to see more uh, before we make that determination. But a guy having bad numbers in Vegas is not exactly damning when it comes to pitching. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the 40-man roster. Man, there it, it, it's a mix of a whole lot of guys who you would never cut from it and some guys who I would have no hesitation to do so. <laughs> but yeah, I mean you could you could jettison one of these guys and give um you know, whether it's Pill or Ricky Knapp uh it, just a shot. I mean, at this point if you cycle through some guys, I think you're not going to do worse than what you've gotten out of that spot between the starts that Tommy Malone has made and the couple of starts that Montero made. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it doesn't go well. And you just continue to go through the cycle of, hey, we have a chance at winning these four games and we don't have a chance at winning the fifth one until somebody comes back. But you might as well find out. Yeah, and, uh, you know, (laughs) Friday night's start from DeGrom was such a breath of fresh air for a lot of reasons. But one of them was just, oh, yeah, this is how a a bullpen is supposed to function. You know, pitching two or three innings, not pitching, you know, eight or nine innings as it feels like they're somehow pitching almost every night, even though that's ridiculous, but just how it feels, you know, the the bullpens just felt so belabored lately that it's hard to remember what a functional bullpen is going to look like. So when we're talking about all of this, it's not just getting the best starter you can. It's getting a starter who's going to stick in the game for a little while to just give any, any sort of hope that the Mets don't have to go through five or six relief pitchers a night for a little while. Because that is an unsustainable... Uh, I, I'm shocked they've made it this far. And you could argue that they haven't really made it this far. <laughs> you know, the bullpen's already pretty broken. Yeah, I mean, the thing with the bullpen, too, is it wasn't that long ago that the bullpen had good numbers. It's just been, you know, the effect of a variety of things. But I think being overworked has been one of them. Um you know, Hansel Robles being his ever-changing self is part of it, too. And, you know, maybe a couple of the guys who are in there aren't that good. But I, I think, I, I feel like at the beginning of May, the Mets bullpen as a whole had pretty good numbers. And that was going for 15 games without Familia. Um, you know, maybe not having the sharpest status in Reed. And still, at that point the bullpen was in pretty decent shape. And let, let, let me see if I'm correct about that by checking the April numbers. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a certain truthiness to that. That feels right. Yeah, let's see. Oh, yeah. I did. Uh, wait, no, hold on. No, no, never mind. <laughs> Disregard what I said. Man, they were bad in they were that bad in April. I, I may be doing something I I hate when other people do here and 
overvaluing uh, maybe the uh, the first week or two of the season. <laughs> You're saying Eric Thames isn't the best hitter in baseball? <laughs> it, it, yeah, that that whole concept. It, it's sort of like I get it, but I think people just fall in love with the like the what if. Yeah. But yeah, the Mets bullpen had a 5.06 ERA in April. No. That doesn't wait. Did I click on the wrong thing? It doesn't sound right, but that's that's what Fangraph says right now. I thought they had like a three point something ERA in April, and then after that, they they you know turned into what they've been. Regardless, the bullpen needs help. Um, <laughs> so, do you think? I guess just kind of piggybacking off of this conversation, do you think that a wiser um, expenditure of resources right now would be a reliever or two or a starter that could help them bridge until someone's healthy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I think I'd go with a reliever or two for two reasons. One, uh, they should cost less. You know, even a mediocre major league starter is probably going to cost you more in a trade than a couple of decent relievers. Um, so that, you know, there's that. And then if you're going to make a trade, uh, or two and, and bring in somebody, I kind of feel like right now you, you, I mean, if some crazy scenario came up that, uh, and just to use an example of a guy who beat up the Mets on Sunday, if, if Mike Trout were suddenly available in a deal that made sense, Sure, you 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 make you make an incredible uh, trade on that level, but you try to make the hot the hot take parade here. Mike Trout is good, and you would trade for him. <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, but you know, short of something like that materializing, if you're living in reality, uh, I think a couple of lower level moves might help in the short term, and kind of go along with the reality that if you don't get these starters back, uh, you know, if, if, if Syndergaard's recovery takes longer than expected, uh, or if Mats and Lugo both are unable to return, then, you know, that, that, that's something that you could either address in July. If the team stays afloat, despite those things going wrong, or, you know, it, it might just be, uh, it, if those things don't happen, it just might not be the year. So I, I'd hate to like blow it all on a on a starting pitcher, right? And then have things not really improve anyway. Um, but yeah, I the, I think generally I'm pretty okay with things that the team does, uh, the, the front office does. But all winter and now you know nearly two months into the season. I want another relief pitcher. I want two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I I don't blame you. you and know, Neil I mean, Ramirez is not enough. No. Was that and, Saturday night that he came into the game and uh, looked uh, incredibly lost? Yes. Yeah, that, that was, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you look at teams that are, realistically out of it 
whether they you know whether they've gotten there with their record or not thus far you could probably find uh, a, a couple decent relievers who are maybe closer to free agency that teams aren't you know necessarily looking to hold on to it's uh it, it's just frustrating because relievers are so fungible. I mean, I just, you know, for every Addison Reed that you get, you get an Eric O'Flaherty too. Right. And so you don't want to roll the dice too much. Like you said, you don't want to give up anybody of any value for somebody who's going to just be shitty for you for most of the season. Um, what I'm trying to say, guys, is it's hard to be a general manager. <laughs> These decisions are tough. Um, the other thing we want to touch on, which probably get to this pretty soon, then get out of here, is uh, we want to talk, touch on the idea of the Mets outfield situation. Uh, Chris, if if you had to just, if you got all of your Mets information via Twitter, first of all, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> but second of all, what would you think? Who would you think would be the the odd man out when Cespedes comes back? Absolutely, definitely, no questions asked. Who's going to be riding the bench for the rest of the season? Right, right. it would be Granderson. And yet, who has actually had the better May? Curtis Granderson or Jay Bruce? Uh, also Granderson. <laughs> has, has it even really been close between the two? Uh, no. Nope. It has not. So what the hell, man? Yeah, I mean, so we're in a spot where... You know, coming into the season, I think I wanted to see Conforto be good again. Um, and man, I, I hate that I even phrased it that way. But I, I coming off last year, uh, he had a bad year. You know, I he wanted did. to see him kind of do something to show, hey, this is the guy who I really am. And that guy who you saw from May through the end of last season wasn't wasn't really me. Uh, he has certainly done that. He hasn't slowed down really too much. Uh, and, you know, and it, it's either been a great week or, hey, a pretty good week for him pretty much week in and week out this year. So it's clear that that's a guy who should continue playing as much as possible. Um, but it's not so clear to me that it's, uh, you know, open and shut case that Granderson should be the one to see his playing time reduced with Cespedes hopefully back very soon and playing every day in left and Conforto playing in center. Um, you know, the last three seasons coming into this year, Granderson was clearly the better hitter. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking on the podcast about whether or not Jay Bruce's option was even worth picking up. And, you know, I think it's safe to say it was worth yes. picking up. I don't know where the Mets would be without him. Uh, the month of April he had helped make up for some, you know, some things that went really wrong. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's not that that goes unappreciated, but it's just when you look at it, I think the only thing you could cite right now to say that it's a clear case would be age. And, you know, I mean, you, you never know when a player is going to fall off a cliff 
and just be bad. I think Granderson's 36. So that's not, you know, it's not unheard of at that age. But I don't know. Let's just, let's not take April, or let's not take the stats at the end of April and assume that those are more indicative of what's to come than what those players had done over the last few years, you know? Right. What I think is so preposterous about this is that, and again, this is a lot of this could be confirmation bias where I'm looking for something and I'm seeing it. It looks like the folks on Twitter who are most vocal about this, and, and not just Twitter, but the folks, you know, calling it WFAN or, you know, even some of them writing fan posts on Amazing Avenue, you know, these were the same folks with the loudest voices in the trade Jay Bruce for a bag of balls argument from earlier this season. And I will say, you know, I was very much in favor of trading Jay Bruce, and I had to somewhat eat crow when he had a good start to the season. I was never, you know, if you can't trade Jay Bruce, blow the team up type guy. And and things got almost that hyperbolic on the internet for a while about Bruce. You know, it was it's crazy. And, you know, I said, maybe I'm guilty of some of this, too. It's crazy how much we took half a season to be that that guy was totally, you know, shot and was never going to have a productive baseball career again. And yet, it seems like people were just as easily swayed the other way with very little empirical evidence. And uh, it's just, it's odd to me. It's very odd to me. But let's just let's quickly, instead of cursing the darkness, let's uh, <laughs> let's try and let a match here or something. Um, obviously, when Cespedes comes back, there will be great rejoicing, but there will also be a a bit of an outfield logjam. We've talked a little bit about sort of how we would manage that, but with given given the current offensive state of Granderson and Bruce, do you have a? Uh, a foolproof McShane method here for how you would manage the, uh, the playing time going forward? Well, I mean, I guess there's two types of scenarios. Um, one, trade one of those two players, understanding that, you know, there, there's some risk in either one, but either one would be a perfectly reasonable guy to keep in right field on an everyday basis. Uh, you know, trade one of those guys for some help in the bullpen, maybe at the back of the rotation. You know, contenders trading with each other can be hard, but maybe there's sort of a match there somewhere. Uh, Failing that, you know, I, I think I would just continue to give a little more weight to the track record. Uh, maybe that ends up being wrong, but I would kind of... A, approach it as you know Granderson gets the majority of the playing time in right um, you know Conforto gets the majority in center but maybe once a week or once every other week give Cespedes a day off uh, where Conforto's playing out there you know kind of Conforto I think the nice thing is that I guess the younger the player is, the more you're like, oh, he can he can play a day here and there, like right field, left field, center, whatever. Um, I mean, I and, guess the good news there is that Conforto is the one who you need to see the most from in terms of 
what he'll be doing in the future. So if you give him, you know, three days a week in center field and he handles himself well, that makes your offseason plans a little bit easier. So it's not a big deal. If you're going to be moving folks around, you almost want to move him around the most so that you have a a more complete picture of the player you have on your roster. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so to me, it can be, you know, the the average baseball week is six games. Uh, Obviously, there are some weeks where it's seven. But, you know, start Conforto, four times or five times out of those six in center field with Cespedes on, you know, on his left, well, his right, but the way we look at it on his left, Uh, Cespedes on his left, either Granderson or Bruce in right. Um, And then that one other day a week, have somebody sit. And that, that gives you a, you know, Conforto still playing every day. Uh, The, older relatively speaking guys get some rest and uh you know you can manage it makes sense to me well chris uh the next time we speak you'll have been a couple of games at pnc park yes finally I'm, i'm excited to hear your take on it uh there's there's a not insignificant chance I will also be at the game on Sunday night in Pittsburgh. Oh, all right. <laughs> so I'm going to be in Pittsburgh that night, and my friend Dave, who I'm staying with, uh, floated the idea, and uh, we're going to run up by the wives and see. Nice. So, all right. yeah, I'll let you know. Breaking news on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the bad news, though, is it is a Sunday night game, and we know how the Mets do on Sundays. So True, but the good news is if you are in Pittsburgh, you don't have to watch ESPN. That is very true. That, uh, that's how I would pitch it. Like, hey, we're going to watch this game anyway. Would you like to watch it with terrible coverage, or would you like to watch it in a beautiful ballpark? Yeah. My friend lives like 20 minutes from the ballpark, too. It'll be a very easy drive home after. Nice. So we'll see. I'll let you know. That sounds good. And listeners, if you're if you're in Pittsburgh this weekend, bother Chris at the ball game, at the ball games. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just at- kidding. At Chris McShane on Twitter. Yeah. Buy him a beer. Yes. Commiserate with me about the Mets fans who complain about David Wright and other <laughs> franchise legends. Yeah. I like the good players. I'm sorry. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Steve Sniper, and I'm back to go over our minor league plays of the week for week 7 now. So before I do that, let's just look over the affiliates and see how they did for the week. First up are the Las Vegas 51s, and they went 3-4 and four for the week and are entering week 8 with an 18-25 and 25 record, which unfortunately puts them dead last in the division and still 6 games behind the Soul Lake Bees. Next up are the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, and they went 3-2 and two for the week and had one rain post moment and entered Week 8 with a 21-15 and 15 record, which leaves them still one game behind the Trenton Thunder for first place. Then are, we have the St. Lucie Mets, and they went 3-3, three and three, and have a 19-24 and 24 record, which puts them seven games behind the Bradenton Marauders for first place. And finally, the Columbia Fireflies, and they went 4-3 and three for the week, and are entering Week 8 with a 21-19 and 19 record, which puts them six games behind the Greenville Drive for first place in the division. 
So, for week 7, our pitch of the week is yet another Columbia Firefly starter. This time, it is Harold Gonzalez. Uh, Harold started one game, uh, he threw a complete game against the Liquid Blue Claws in game 1 of their doubleheader last Monday. And he led one run over seven innings, giving up four hits, walking one, and striking out eight. So, for a little background on Harold now, he made his stateside debut in 2015 after spending 2014 down in the DSL. And he showed some promise down there, even if his numbers really didn't reflect it. But he really became a known brand last season, 2016, when he became the ace of a pretty loaded Brooklyn Cyclone pitching staff. Um... Basically, he had one of the best seasons in Brooklyn Cyclone history, and he almost won the pitching triple crown. He ended the year with a 2.01 ERA, which was the best in the league among qualified pitchers. He struck out 88 batters, which is also the most in the league. And he just missed out on um, the triple crown because he only had seven wins, which uh, was behind Ryan Castellanos, who pitched for the Connecticut Tigers. And Steven Farinaro, who pitched on the State Valley Spikes. So, uh, Jeff Paternostro wrote a pretty detailed report about Harold when he first made his um, debut in the States in 2015. Um, So, when I first saw Harold myself last season, I knew kind of what I was, you know, what I should expect. But what made Harold stand out to me when I first saw him among all the different prospects out there on that. Brooklyn Cyclones team last year was that I got to see Harold develop right before my eyes, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, for example, in the first start that I saw him make, which was June 18th, I noticed that his curveball and his slider looked kind of like, you know, two distinct pitches. Uh, the last report that we had on Harold, which is from Jeff's report in 2015, said that basically his slider and curveball bled into one another, and it was kind of like a, just a slurvy kind of pitch. And, you know, a week or so later, when Jeff got to see Harold himself, you know, me and him, we talked about it. And he agreed, you know, that kind of Harold cleaned up his off-speed stuff and has made his made his slider and his curveball kind of more two well-defined pitches. And, you know, that was pretty cool to me to see, you know, a prospect actually developing and improving right before my eyes. And basically, based on what I saw from Harold last week when I saw him pitch, you know, that... A complete game in Lakewood. Again, you know, he's developed right before my eyes, and this actually might be a pretty major development for Harold. Um, you know, the biggest knock against him is that he's an undersized righty with a below average fastball velocity. Uh, I saw him make three starts at Brooklyn last year, and basically he sat in the high 80s, about 87 to 89. And he touched, you know, 90, 91 only a handful of times. You know, I could, I could count those on both hands over all three of those starts. So my seats in Lakewood, I didn't really have that good of enough of an angle to use my radar gun. But Jeff was there, and he had pretty good seats, and he was able to use his. And he passed, um, you know, that info to me that Harold was sitting 88 to 93. And basically he was holding his velocity, um into the into the later portions of the game. And that's a pretty major change. You know, that's going from fringe fastball velocity to a, about average for right-hander, you know, the low 90s. So, and then you combine that with everything else that Harold brings, and that could actually be a pretty huge development. You know, the rest of his repertoire is pretty much the same, but it, it just all looked a little bit better. Um, 
His changeup uh, sits anywhere between 79 and 85 or so. And when it's on the upper ranges of that velocity, it has a bit more sinking action than it does when it's slower. So maybe he's using two different pitches, you know, or pitch grips, I should say. Uh, his slider is about 86, 87 or so. And it shows, you know, decent tilt. And because his generally low fastball velocity, um, the slider kind of actually works in his favor. And it almost looks like a cutter from a, a pitcher's perspective. I mean, from a hitter's perspective. Because the two pitches, you know, are very similar in um, velocity. He also throws a, a curveball. He's kind of tightened it up a bit. From last year, last year was kind of an 11 to uh, 5 kind of curveball. Looked like it flattened out in higher leverage situations or when he was pitching from the stretch. But this year it kind of looked uh, like a tighter 12 to 6. I wasn't able to catch BP or pitcher warm-ups or anything, but Jeff mentioned that he threw the a tighter curve with more regularity in practice and only snapped off a couple during the game. So, I mean, the curve is still something he's developing, but he's shown, you know, that it has developed. And, you know, Tarrell still has his trademarks from last year and from 2015. He's, you know, he's definitely a competitor. Uh, he's a great clubhouse chemistry guy. He's a smart pitcher. But now he has better stuff, and I'm not going to say that anything is improved to the point that he's got a clear path to the MLB or anything like that. But, you know, if the stuff continues developing and a bunch of guys graduate off the top of the list, which they probably are going to do, you know, there's a possibility that Harold is in or he's, you know, near the top uh, 10 for uh, 2018 top Mets prospects. So that's that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. <laughs> and now our hit of the week for week seven is Las Vegas 51 shortstop. And Mets top prospect, Ahmed Rosario. And he went 12 for 33 this week with a double, two triples, two home runs, eight RBI, two walks, three strikeouts, and one stolen base in two attempts. So it took a few weeks, but Ahmed is finally our player of the week. And what a week he had. (laughs) He logged five games in a row, five games in a row, with at least one extra base hit. And he raised his batting line from 359, 401, 493 at the beginning of the week, which is already damn good, to 359, 398, 529. And basically, at his hottest point during that streak, his line was as high as 366, 407, 547. So, that's PCL or not, that's pretty damn impressive. <laughs> um, you know, Ahmed panning out like he has now was. Not always such a certain thing. Uh, the Mets believed in him, and that's why they gave him a uh, $1.75 million bonus when they signed him, which is the largest in team history. But the industry at the time was kind of split on him. You know, a lot of people were concerned that his swing would live in him, and he'd be basically um, a low-average, kind of moderate power player. But he would always have his... Um, his fielding to fall back on. You know, he's always had good instincts, soft hands, good arm strength, plenty of athleticism. So a lot of people were split as to whether or not he'd actually amount to something with the bat or if he'd just kind of be a light-hitting defensive specialist. Um, He didn't exactly excel, you know, the first couple of years when he was in the organization, but he held his own 
and looking at things in context, you know, holding his own is more than plenty. Uh, he hit at or around league average, despite being the youngest player to play in the Appalachian League in 2013. He hit at or around league average in 2014 in the New York Penn League, and same thing at the Florida State League in 2015. And then finally last year in 2016, he came into camp a lot bigger. You know, he put in a lot more work during the offseason, and he looked a lot more jacked. And basically everything with the bat finally clicked. You know, he hit the ball with a lot more authority. Um, all the added muscle improved his speed. You know, he, he has elite speed. And all of that speed not only helped him on the base paths, but it also helped his range at short. And, you know, his defense is an area that he already excelled at, so he just got better and improved his strength there. So basically, in a blink, he became the total package. You know, he was able to hit, uh, he could run, and he could field. And he shot up the prospect lists as a result. And, you know, he's a consensus top 10 prospect. And arguably, he's the best, you know, overall player in that group of short shortstops um, with Gleyber Torres and J.P. Crawford. And honestly, you know, the Mets have handled things poorly. You know, he Ahmed should be already getting MLB at-bats. But, you know, they're playing that service time thing, and they're not going to promote him before the Super 2 deadline, so whatever. You know, at this point, it doesn't really matter. Um, it's only a couple of weeks until that deadline anyway, so really it's just a matter of time now and not an if when Ahmed makes his debut. So, you know, as the med likes him to sign off himself, don't be surprised, be ready, and we're all ready. So those are our, our Mets minor league players for the week, for week seven. And I'll be back next week on Amazing Avenue Audio. Welcome back to Forgotten Mets. I'm your host, Brian Renzi. There's been lots of talk the last couple of years about how the Mets developed their young position players, and this conversation will likely get a bit louder if the Mets don't turn their season around sometime soon. We all know that they, the Mets haven't done any favors for Michael Conforto or TJ Rivera until they had no other options. But will Wilmer Flores ever get a chance to prove that he can hit righties on a regular basis? Why isn't Juan Lagares getting more PT with Granderson struggling so mightily? And when will the Mets' best shortstop take a flight from Vegas to LaGuardia? Well, while Ahmed Rosario seems destined to get a nice long look sooner than later, perhaps a poster child for a potentially solid Major League player toiling to no avail would be a fan favorite for a brief spell back in the summer of 2007, Ruben Gotai. The Mets acquired Gotai in July 2006 from Kansas City for Jeff Kepinger, who was in his own right a T.J. Rivera-esque player who did nothing but hit in the minors, but never got respect enough to play. But in getting Gotai, they got a switch hitter who was a couple years younger, played the same positions, so it seemed like a pretty good deal on the face of it. Gotai spent the rest of 06 in the minors for the Mets, but in 07, with an injury to Jose Valentin, this opened the door for a roster spot for the 24-year-old Gotai. And every chance he got, he just hit. Well, from the left side, anyway, because he always struggled as a right-handed hitter, but still, the boy could hit. And while by no means a great defender, he wasn't going to kill you there either. He was sure-handed at second base and made the plays he could get to. 
And there was something about his style and grit that said 80s throwback Mets all over it. I remember uh, a game against the Reds and looking back, looking it back up, it was July 12th of 2007 where he and Jose Reyes led off the game with back-to-back homers. And I remember thinking, I could get used to this. Uh, well, that ended up being Gotai's last homer as a Met. He was hitting 350 with an 886 OPS through 130 plate appearances that summer until Black Monday 2007, the day the Mets acquired Luis Castillo. With the World Series ambitions, the Mets weren't willing to ride an untested youngster, it would seem. So, Gotai's playing time dwindled, as did his numbers, and so did the Mets' chance at the postseason. In the end, though, he put up some pretty solid stats. He had a 295, 351, 421 slash line and 211 plate appearances with a respectable 103 weighted runs created plus. Now, of course, some of that was buoyed by an unsustainable 359 BABIP, but he did hit 288 with the 327 OBP and 55 pinch hitting appearances, which is no mean feat for a 24 year old. So you'd think he would be a nice piece to kind of keep around, especially when Luis Castillo showed up to 2008 spring training out of shape, which was the beginning of a shame spiral so profound that Gary Keith and Ron will still sometimes whisper his name as an ill omen. Uh, the other day in a broadcast, if you caught it, Gary referred to a certain bungled defensive play as Castillo-esque. No one bothered to even use the first name, because we all knew what he was talking about. But back to 2008, March, the Mets pulled a Metsy move by forsaking young talent in and following their heart for a wizened veteran who would never really push Castillo putting Gotai on waivers at the end of spring training while keeping 38-year-old Damian Easley. The Mets evidently expected Gotai to clear waivers and thought, hey, he's not really a great shortstop. We need flexibility. Uh, But nobody told them that Damian Easley at 38 years old could not play shortstop either. So I guess they thought they... They could have Gotai clear waivers and return to the minors, but instead, the Atlanta Braves made the cock-blockingest move possible by scooping Gotai up the next day just so he could rot on the bench all year behind Kelly Johnson and Chipper Jones. As Castillo went on to have a predictably injury-plagued year for the Mets, Easley then went on to play 64 games at second base and soaked up more plate appearances than he had in seven years while posting an unsatisfactory 86 Weighted runs created plus in what would be his final year. And, again, showing the short-sightedness of the Mets' front office. But, after the 2008 season, Gotai also would never play Major League Baseball again. And not for lack of trying and not for lack of minor league numbers. In 2009, with the Diamondbacks organization at AAA... He put up a 272, 429, 450 line with 141 weighted runs created plus and a 21% walk percentage, which, you know, is outrageous. But 
he did have really good on base skills um, on the whole, but he was blocked on the D-backs by Felipe Lopez at second base, who was hitting 301, and they had Mark Reynolds at third base. The 2010 Cardinals uh, AAA affiliate, he hit 13 homers while putting up a 285-410-436 line with 124 weighted runs created plus, but he was stuck behind Skip Schumacher and, again, Felipe Lopez and David Fries came out of the woodwork to start to become an amazing um, playoff hero that year. So, on Gotai went to the Marlins and then to the Braves in 2011, uh, where he was blocked by Omar Infante and Greg Dobbs and also then Dan Ugla and Chipper Jones again. None of the aforementioned players would miss any significant time during injury, no room for Gotai. Um, he moved on to 2012 with the Blue Jays, once again blocked by Kelly Johnson and Brett Lowry. And he, again, was doing quite well before. The Braves picked him up again, and he's again behind Ugla and Jones. Um, back to the Cardinals in 2013, where he smacked 16 homers, put up 128 Weighted runs created plus, but he was behind Chris Carpenter, who's hitting the cover off the ball, and David Freeze again. 2014, Reds AAA organization, 17 homers, and again, you know, at least respectable 732 OPS. And each of these years, using double digit walk percentage, but he's uh, he was behind Brandon Phillips and Todd Frazier, and it's it's but it's interesting with all these numbers that he never even made it back to the majors as a bench piece because, you know, like we're talking about, he's showed good on base skills. Um, so 2014 with the Reds was his last go-around. They, they let him play the full season, 136 games, and then he didn't catch on anywhere. So he went independent and signed with the Saraperos de Saltillo in the Mexican League where he was cut after midway through the second week of the season due to roster crunch. So Gotai took the rest of the summer off and went down, played winter ball, as he always had. Uh, this year, in 2015, he ended up rubbing shoulders with TJ Rivera as their teammates on Mayaguez. Beginning in 2016, he once again signed with the Paros de Saltillo in the Mexican League, who once again cut him, this time in the first week of the year. Uh, again, roster crunch being the uh, operative reason. He, if, if you were paying attention to Long Island Ducks baseball last summer, you knew Gotai played the season with them. Um... And evidently, people still thought enough about him that he was signed after the duck season by the Criollos de Cagua just in time to play for this Puerto Rican team in the Caribbean World Series this past January and February. And he was on the team that was the eventual champions of the, the tournament. He also was was one of the last players cut on the 2017 Puerto Rico national team for the World Baseball Classic. But 
to this point, it doesn't seem like he's he doesn't seem like he's caught on with any other team since then. So at age 34, maybe he's finished uh, in pro ball. Maybe maybe he'll just keep playing winter league ball for a bit. Maybe he's evidence that sometimes you're just in the wrong circumstance to hit it big. Um, but he definitely also has shown that with, with uh, the right attitude, you certainly can carve out a life in baseball nonetheless. And certainly, Ruben Gotai still has the adoration of a number of Mets fans from that one promising summer of 2007. This has been Forgotten Mets. I'm Brian Renzi saying, catch you next time down hazy memory lane. Hey Mets fans, this is Steve Schreiber. Welcome to another edition of Unsolicited Advice here on Amazing Avenue Audio. I'm here with Caitlin McCabe. How's it Hello. going? Yeah, how's it going, Caitlin? Sorry, I, I, I picked the, the absolute uh, worst moment to, I, I talked right over you, but it's fine. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you? I'm, uh, you know, I'm okay. Mets, Mets have won three out of four, um, which is which is good after losing a, a bunch of games, but we'll just, yeah. we'll ignore that last part, right? Yeah, I mean, I wish I could be more excited about the wins, but I think, I don't remember who said it on Twitter, um, it was a Mets beat reporter who said that last night the Mets were playing a minor league team, um, so it almost takes away from the power of any win. I think, I think it was E-Hall. It's definitely yeah, that, yeah. There we go. Because yeah, he he's he does that thing where uh, where anytime the Mets win, it's uh, you know the team is just it, they're playing a bad team. It's it's not the Mets <laughs> yeah. winning. But anyway, um, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about um, some of the goings on with the Mets. I don't really like that word. I don't know why I said that, but uh, <laughs> we'll uh, you know see uh, see what we come up with today. Um, yeah. So, uh, Caitlin, I'll let you uh, get started here with a little uh, uh, mini mini Instagram controversy. Yeah. If you'd so, like. here, so, bringing the social media to our unsolicited advice slash PR one hundred and one, whatever you want to call it. So, yesterday or earlier in the week, Rob Gazelman posted an Instagram photo of himself, Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard's girlfriend, and honestly, I don't know who this guy is. His name is, yes, I did serious stalking. His name is Michael Bowes, or Bowes, and it looks like he runs some kind of organization and is friends with Noah, because um, mm. there's a lot of pictures of all of them together, but mm. again, no idea who this guy is. Yeah, I was, but, I was wondering. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, he's friends with like Noah, Robert, and Tyler Sagan, so he's definitely, mm. he must be from Texas and be some hotshot charity dude but there's a photo of them looking all swaggy and dressed up and robert has the caption it's tough being a good looking guy in an average looking world Hmm. and definitely right now that kind of got (laughs) a lot of comical feedback from people on instagram we have anthony in carbone saying it's probably harder being a below average pitcher in a terrible bullpen um (laughs) Eddie's saying also an average pitcher. 
about some people getting annoyed that they're dressed up on an off day instead of practicing and focusing on actually pitching. Um, People saying, we want our ace back, Um, specifically meaning Thor. Duda Lady saying, you meant it's hard being a good-looking girl surrounded by three brutes. That one might be my favorite. Um, And a lot of people just telling him to chill out, um, start dominating on the mound, um, how's that bullpen look, buddy? And tell Noah to look better. Um, so, I mean, I think the problem for me is there was just literally no context in this photo. I have no idea what they're doing, where they're going. And, like, if you look, if you think at, about it, the caption is kind of funny because we know he doesn't genuinely mean it. But I don't know. I think you you got to have some sense of self-awareness as to what's going on before you start making comments like that. <laughs> Yeah, it um yeah, you pointed this one out to me yesterday. I, I hadn't seen it and um looking at it now, I mean uh you know, I yeah, I have no idea where they are, what they're doing. They're they're dressed nicely. Um uh Noah's Noah's girlfriend looks like she's wearing it almost looks like she's wearing like a robe, but it's white. <laughs> It's fashion. Yeah, it's fashion. yeah. I thought, I mean, like, I think Noah posted something about her graduating from college a couple days ago, yeah. but it's usually, like, a black robe, not a white robe. So she's she's wearing a white robe, um, and so, yeah, I guess it probably is uh, fashion. Yeah, um, I mean, it looks, like, it looks like they're at probably some kind of party or whatever, yeah. maybe for her graduation or some other kind of event. But mm-hmm. I mean, I'm also a bit confused too. I mean, I get that they're boyfriend and girlfriend, but like, why can't there just be a, a, a guy's photo? Like she's in literally every single photo of them now. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. I guess, uh, yeah, no, no, has got to, uh, you know, have, have a round show her off. I don't know. Yeah, um, it's all, it's all helping her PR too, because <laughs> Apparently, I mean, she's supposed to be some kind of Instagram model, but I mean, again, this is my job. I I do all the stalking, but like, you don't see her with any like major campaigns or something. Mm -hmm. It's basically just someone's taking photographs of her and they're going on Instagram. So she's kind of the definition in that sense of an Instagram model, not really getting yet any endorsements, just posting hot pics and stuff, Yeah, Um, which is fine. I mean, she just graduated, um, don't know what her degree is or anything, but yeah. So, I mean, I guess my ultimate point is that obviously he's getting flack because the pitching rotation isn't doing well. The um, bullpen isn't doing well, really. So to make some comment about how, you know, like you're a stud, even though he's obviously making a joke, is kind of just asking for negative attention. Yeah, for sure. The, um, you know, just just like on its face, the comment is kind of kind of douchey almost i would say um i I mean especially because i mean he's not he only just got a twitter you know mm -hmm. he's not very active on social media so when he has these random comments it's kind of just like where where is this coming from and no one really i guess knows how to interpret it right yeah yeah there's no going to follow her now (laughs) gonna gonna know yeah gotta stalk her now yeah gotta gotta keep gotta know what's going on of course yeah um, okay. yeah, there's, there, I, I, there's really no context with him. Like, you know, I, I don't, you know, we know. He has no brand. Yeah. He has yeah, no brand. That's right. Yeah. We, we which I is, mean. Which is fine. Like, you don't, mm-hmm. every athlete doesn't have to have 
their personality really out there. Right. But again, and we, I kind of, I think I talked about this a little bit when I'm talking about like Stevie Max or even DeGrom, like those are just kind of nice guys mm-hmm. and we don't really see this big personality from them. But if you're going to have Noah Syndergaard and, and you like, as your roommate, hanging out all the time and he's got this big presence and the and the, the organization has taken huge strides at really making a brand for him as has MLB as a whole like he's got to do something other than the occasional Instagram post I right. mean right now he's just kind of like a joke that he's the less attractive to grow on with tattoos <laughs> you know that doesn't yeah. really do it for me like yeah, I know yeah. his I know his friend I've heard things about him that maybe you don't want to like make everything just about his past or whatever, or you don't want to make a huge PR stunt, but come on. I mean, <laughs> you need more. I'm sorry. I'm disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he, listening to him in like in interviews, like post game interviews, I remember after one bad game, he came off like really, I don't know, cold, but it's, it's, you know, it's like, you know, that's just one post-game interview so it's just there's yeah. no there's no context there you exactly know, it's... I mean we one thing we do know about especially Gazelman but all pitchers in general is they want to pitch and they're unhappy when they don't do well I mean I think Harvey may have you know like a bit more like way to spin things positive because he's been doing that after he's all of his been pitches. doing that like crazy <laughs> like crazy lately yeah yeah like something there's always some positive end but I think what it is is that Robert Gazelman He's kind of in a st- tough spot right now because even though they wanted him to be in their starting rotation, he was struggling a bit skill-wise. And now in the bullpen, you know, he, he's sure going to be pulled out, you know, to fill spots in the rotation for this Malone character who I still don't understand. <laughs> but I don't know. I think if I were his agent or whomever, I don't, I don't even know his contract deal or whatnot, but I would really work on having him do something that makes him more of, a person. Yes, it's great that maybe he is just focusing on his actual skills, and that's maybe why we don't see him out and about doing things like <laughs> Conforto visiting EMS workers or Noah just doing God knows what. But I think that's what I would have him work on: start actually doing something to make him Robert Gazelman, not just another pitcher on the Mets. Yeah. One one thing I I do know about Gazelman is that he can uh, rock the man bun. <laughs> Really? There's, there's not. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a fan of it. I, you know, I don't have long hair, and I, you know, I, if I did, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't. But if I did, I <laughs> wouldn't wear a man bun. But he can kind of, he can kind of pull it I off. Mean, now, I mean, I may be totally wrong, but I mean, because I've been following him since he was in Double A. Okay. But I mean, I'm pretty positive he didn't. I mean, obviously, he didn't have long hair until um, he was in. He was like rooming with. And they have this whole challenge thing going right, on, and like yeah. you see occasional photos of the man bun, but he didn't start going out with the man bun until he became friends with Noah Syndergaard. He he got infected by the uh, the Noah oh, Syndergaard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I remember seeing that photo when they went to go see Noah's horse, not Noah's horse, but the horse named after right, Noah. Named after, you know, yeah. they're both wearing those uber like bougie preppy cardigan sweater things, and they both had man buns. And I was just like, my god. You know, he's lost. He became Noah, you know. But it's got to be hard, like, living with someone like Noah Syndergaard, even if he's yeah. the most down-to-earth guy, because we don't know, but let's assume that he is. I mean, how can you compete with that? It's hard. It's hard. Yeah, he's, yeah. uh, 
he's he's way up in like the stratosphere of of you know of of having this this great brand and he's an excellent pitcher and all that and yeah Robert Gesellman is uh just a guy in in a way yeah yeah you know he's he's got potential um he you know was great last year but uh yeah yeah it's so interesting. everyone everyone knows I like Robert Gazelman. Everyone knows, other than my Thor jersey, I only have a Robert Gazelman jersey. Like that's the only jersey I own. So I mean, everyone I like him, and someone can hire me to represent him. I'm gonna be a sports agent one day. Um, <laughs> in the process now, so hit me up. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. Rob, Rob Gesellman, if you're listening, first of all, I'm sorry. Just, I'm sorry that I called you just a guy. Um, <laughs> second, second, that that was uh, that was kind of a dick move by me. But um, second of all, if you're listening, Caitlin is uh, willing to rep you. So, you know, take her up on it. Yeah, I'll do it for free. I kind of know where you live, so <laughs> we'll work on it. We'll work on it. <laughs> should should Robert should Robert be uh, be creeped out by that? No. No. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> just, just so we have that. Uh... I'll, I'll blame Brian. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just, just so we have that on the record. Uh, you know, in, yeah. in case in the future. I only stalk people on social media, not in real life. I'm, I'm Got way it. too lazy to do that. <laughs> Got it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, moving on from uh, Robert Gesellman and his uh, his Instagram, uh, you know, issues. Um. Part of part of I guess what's what sort of killed the Mets rotation uh, all season so far anyway um, are the injuries, and there there have been there have been a lot of lot of lot of injuries. Um, so uh, you know just to just to run down the uh, the ever ever depressing uh, list here, uh, we have uh, Yoenis Cespedes on the DL. Uh, as Drupal mm-hmm. Cabrera on the DL, uh, Steven Matz on the DL. Who 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 do we have on the roster? <laughs> There's a lot of guys. Uh, Tommy Malone is healthy. Jose Reyes is healthy. All of your favorite players who are are very so so. Bruce is hurt now. Kind J- of. Yeah, yeah. He has a, a back thing now. So uh, yeah, pre- pretty much anybody that you like is uh <laughs> destined to get injured. Um and so this is this is a this is a, a problem. Uh this is this is a uh a, a recurring problem as we you know we all know from last year and even the year before um you know the Mets have had a lot of injuries and and not just injuries in general but injuries to uh key players. Um so I I always am I'm trying to think like what what can they do to you know to to stop this because it's 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 a major issue um and they're losing a lot of their best talent to injuries um so you know I'm I'm no injury expert by any means um I'm yeah, not a we, doctor we're we not doctors right we play them on podcast of course yeah so <laughs> we have to you know we have to you know hands off a little bit but um you know the uh the the issues here um have to be fixed so uh let's let's uh 
let's let's think a little bit about this. Um, the the Mets always put um, these these very it seems like rosy uh, you know uh, uh, timetables on their players' injuries. You know, a guy like leaves a game. You know, like Cespedes leaves a game. Like he he's like carried off the field basically, and they're like, oh, he'll be back in like a week. Yeah. Or like Matt, who's had a long history of injuries, you know, just, just pitched the other day his first start in AAA, and they're like, yeah, we kind of want him back in our rotation next week. You know, and brilliant, brilliant. You know, everyone should just be more like Noah, who when they ask him, oh, I use his first name, like I actually know him, that's sad. But like, he, you know, he's just like, yeah, I don't know when the hell I'm coming back. And, you know, that's not really reassuring. Um, probably, you know, they should have, not had him be talking about when he's coming back. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, there's there's a PR issue, but like r- realistically, I mean, we need some kind of timeline. But I think it's always better to anticipate the worst and say realistically, like this is what we're looking at, like this is what it could be, instead of promoting the positives mm-hmm. because that's the problem with Mets fans. Mets fans are literally just like one of those swings that goes back and forth. We hate it. We love it. We hate it. We love it. But we're always eternally miserable and we feel things way too much. So I think by telling us something positive, we bitter New Yorkers will always just look for the negative anyway. And we'll always get mad when that chance of a positive doesn't work out. So it's just better to keep things the most realistic as possible. And let's face it with, with Mets injuries, it's almost always, uh, the the, the long yeah the worst case scenario <laughs> yeah. um you know they... and that's the problem the problem too is like when we have phenomenal players but when you try to rush them through recovery so they can go back to being those phenomenal players what you're doing is you're limiting um the potential they have to perform to that ability so wouldn't right. you rather just wait until they're 100 percent instead of throwing them in when they're 75 percent the mets love playing their guys at 75 percent mm-hmm. That's like that's like a rite of passage for being a, yeah. a New York Met. I mean, that's almost optimistic to be honest, saying that they're seventy five percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> as Drupal Cabrera was playing with like a thumb like hanging off its like you know ligament like hanging, and he's you yeah, know he's out there and like City Field is like Oregon Trail. That's really what it's like. It's like that game where someone gets like some dumb illness and is just suddenly dead. That's basically what the Mets rotation is like. The Mets team is like. Steve Mets has dysentery. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's they, they, you know, it at at some point it it's not coincidence. You know, at some point, you know, you can you can say for a while that okay, it's bad luck. You're getting hit with all these injuries, and and to a degree, um, some of these things are luck. Um, you know, a guy pulls a hamstring, a guy, you know, uh, falls on his thumb and, and, you know, injures it, you know, that's, that's luck. Um, yeah, and that's something that can't, it can't necessarily be avoided. Like, right. I'm sorry, but any athlete knows that you can't always mentally tell yourself not to land on your thumb. Right. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. It would be great if it did, but it's not. Um, yeah. so, you know, where, where it comes in that the team is, is kind of shooting themselves in the foot is pushing their guys too quickly, you know, and saying, you know, oh yeah, he'll be back in a, a day or two, and then, you know, he plays and re-injures it, and then he's out for, you know, two months. Exactly. So, uh, the, you okay over there? 
talking to me? I'm talking to you. Yeah, you're okay? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Great. I'll, I'll hang in there. I'll just let my <laughs> anger fuel me. <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds like you're like, ah, you're, you're getting very angry over there. Exactly. About like, all the Mets people, injuries. People don't understand that, like, Mets Twitter, of course, is always going to be negative and miserable because that's just what it is. Like, you're born to be miserable. That's that's pretty much the the, the life of a Mets fan being yeah. uh, miserable for the most part. Exactly. You know, they're... being miserable, unrealistic, um, right. having great expectations that we literally um, disappoint the next day. I mean, that's kind of just what it is. It's, it's what it is to be a New Yorker, and it's what it is to be not a Yankee fan. A lot, a lot of people try to, you know, we try to put on the the nice face, the positive, you know, oh, everything will be okay, and it'll, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be all rainbows and lollipops, and you know, uh, and uh, you know, and then the 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 harsh reality of the Mets uh, comes and you know shoots it all down. Yeah, it crushes, it crushes souls. Yes, but I will say the one thing that's not crushing souls is how Conforto is performing. And I saw this morning, or maybe it was late last night, I honestly, I honestly don't remember what time I was on news desk for SNY, but, um, you know, there's this chart that's comparing Aaron Judge and Michael Conforto. And I think Michael Conforto is another interesting character who we really don't know that much about. Like, we're calling him the King of Queens. But other than being the guy who's just, like, eternally sent down to AAA and then comes back is really good and then sent back down, like, he, he really otherwise doesn't have anything going for him. And I think he's doing a lot of really good strides, like being this sort of local boy, um, doing charity work and stuff. But I feel like he's someone that the Mets can work on more, too. Yeah, I mean, he's been he's been their best player. You said he's he's not crushing souls, he's just crushing baseballs instead. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, and Aaron Judge, like, I mean, if we're going to say, like, who does what better, like, I'm not talking statistics, I'm just saying that Aaron Judge has that, like, silly what, Judge's Corner or something going yeah. on now at Yankee Stadium? Right. Well, which, I mean, I don't know. It might be a bit ridiculous, um, if, or it might be a great PR stunt. I'm not really sure. I haven't looked into it. But Conforto just has T-shirts being sold, and we, we really we really don't know that much about him. Yeah. He used to be Noah's roommate. That's kind of what I know. He right. lost weight in the office. <laughs> People call him Scooter for some reason, and I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. We have to ask Good Fundies what that means. I don't. They're, they're yeah, real. They're like the ones that continually throw that out there. Shout right. Out yeah, I just I don't know the background on that, and I I no. want to know. I want to know. Um, but yeah, it's I want just part of. But I really just don't get it. Yeah, it's just it's not obvious. Um, no. so like with Aaron Judge, he's got, you know, the last name. He's Aaron Judge. Um, so, you know, there's, and he's really really tall, tall. right. So, you know, with the, with all that, there's like all sorts of things you could like do with him. Um, Conforto's not that, it's not that easy. Conforto's a kind of long Italian-ish name. It's, you know, um, you know, what can, there's no real, like, there's no good puns you could make. He's got this cute look about him, you know, very innocent, um, you know, He's, yeah. he's got, I guess, that to work with, too. Um, so that's not much. But, I mean, at this point, Mets, if things aren't really going that great with the organization in terms of, like, player performance, in terms of the chances of going to the playoffs, like, it's just worth on capitalizing the few great players that you have <laughs> left, you know. <sighs> yeah, yeah. We, uh, we've got to figure out what 
what we can do to help the Mets uh, market Michael Conforto better. Yeah, so, um, and, and I think first comes to comes to figuring out what scooter means. We're going to look into what, that this week, everyone, and what, we'll have the answer yeah. for you next week. What the hell does scooter mean and why? <laughs> why yeah. is he scooter? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I feel like Noah Syndergaard was the first who really, you know, who really brought this to the world's attention. That he, like, he tweeted his name, you know, he tweeted and called Michael Conforto Scooter or something, and everybody was like, what? What? Why? Yeah. Oh, I don't so get it's it. It's basically some stupid inside <laughs> joke. Yeah. That's, that's definitely what it comes down to, but still, yeah. gotta figure it out. We're right. gonna figure it out. We'll, we'll get on the trail, we'll get back to you. Um, and hopefully we'll, uh, yeah, we'll have a little bit on, uh, Michael Conforto when we, uh, when we come back next time. Yeah. Well, should we do a quick update of, like, us annoying people on social media? Absolutely. I think, I think that would be a great idea because we do have some, some interesting, interesting news here. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So everyone knows that with the help of Steve, I have been annoying Gavin Caccini on Twitter just to to follow me back is kind of what it started with. I've just been begging him to follow me back in a very you trollish s- way. You said you and wanted kind of, wait. You said you wanted him to block you too, didn't you? Oh, I wanted him. To, I, I just, I you know, I kind of reached the point where I would, I would love, <laughs> I would love some recognition. You know, that would be great. You know, like I'm the Cheney fan club here for no apparent reason. Um, and then it kind of went even more so saying like I don't even want you to follow me like let's just get you let's talk to you like the two of us having some interview with him because he, our weirdness will probably go over his head I'm sure you know and started these tweets started getting some feedback a lot of likes um some M- MILB reporters liking saying oh great you should totally talk to them Gavin um and then the Las Vegas 51s always seem to respond to me whenever I like tweet them or like have something with them in it so finally i just put las vegas to one so i was like hey you like me help us get gavin caccini on our podcast <laughs> and, and they private messaged me with the email of the media person saying nice. oh just send an email here and we'll try to make things work for you so at some point steve and i will write some nicely worded email um that's uber professional and try to have gavin come on for an interview um so fingers crossed we'll see how this goes uber professional and totally not stalkerish at all no, totally not stalkerish totally at not all. no never I mean, we will of course ask him uber professional questions but we also will ask like completely weird ones like the ones we ask ourselves on twitter so it'll be worthwhile whenever if ever it does happen Thank you, Las Vegas 51s. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, thank, thank you. Your Twitter account. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. We, you, you may be way too far out, and your, uh, your, uh, you know, offense, uh, your, you know, you may destroy pitching in some way, but we love you anyway. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank I, you. I hope that came off nice and not, uh, not, not horrible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, do you have anything else, Steve, that you want to get off your chest this week? Anything else I'd like to get off my chest? Um, not really. Um, I, I am, I am wearing one of these giant, um, you know, the free shirt Fridays, literally on my chest. 
um, that I'm, I'm wearing. So I'm, I'm going to get this since, since I have it on in my mind and I'm actually, I, I was thinking about writing something about this too. Um, you know, the giant free shirt Friday shirts that like, you, you know, you go to a game and you get a t-shirt and it's like, Oh, awesome. I get a t-shirt and then you like unfold it and it like goes to the floor. Uh huh. <laughs> so, so these shirts are like, they, they give them like extra, extra, extra large, um, yeah. for everybody. Um, uh-huh. so I, I am not, Caitlin, you've, you've met me. I, I am not a, a big person by any means. Yeah. Um, so these, these shirts essentially become like dresses <laughs> for, <laughs> for some of us. Yeah. Yeah. For some of us. I mean, um, this is the season for rompers for men. So. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Maybe maybe I should I should set the trend and go out with the uh you know the the free shirt Friday. Shirt yeah, yeah. Um you know start a trend, become a fashion model or something. Oh yeah. Um but no that that's never happening. Um so uh yeah I'm 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 uh with with a little uh you know idea from uh from one of our other Amazing Avenue writers, um I have been planning to write a little something about uh, you know, the, uh, the free shirt Fridays, I just haven't gotten the time to do it, but, uh, it's, uh, that's something to, uh, to look forward to in the future. Definitely, yeah. Now that I'm thinking about well, it, I yeah. Well, fo- I look forward to it. it yeah. It's also small, I understand. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll, uh, you know, sometime in the future, it'll be, uh, just, just to give you a little more of a hint, it'll be something about, uh, Free shirt Friday shirts and turning them into crafts. <laughs> so Wonderful. yeah, it should be uh, should be interesting. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's that's all that's all I got, Caitlin. Okay, well, me too. So um, I guess next week we'll come back with more things to complain about. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully a little uh, little Michael Conforto, uh, you know, info. Little uh, yeah, exactly. You know, we'll hopefully. we'll let you know, kids. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll send it back to everybody else on the podcast. I'm Steve. I'm Caitlin. Yep. And uh, we'll uh, see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Bye. So the amazing thing is that in the weeks since I last talked to you all, the Mets have not actually lost that much in the standing and somehow managed to put together a six-game losing streak because they were playing just god-awful baseball. Again, that is what this season has come down to because I feel like I say this to you every week. These podcasts are getting incredibly repetitive, and I'm sorry to all of you, but it's not my fault. It's theirs. It's just been bad baseball. It's the pitching. The offense has been pretty good. Granderson's shown some signs of improvement. Jay Bruce hasn't been good. Neil Walker's looked a lot better. Michael Conforto is... I don't even know how to describe a kid anymore. Michael Conforto is really good at baseball. But they cannot pitch to save their lives. Matt Harvey threw again last night, got the win, because he was staked to a 7-run lead and still almost managed to blow it. And... DeGrom's good. They cannot find a fifth starter. They've got Gazelman coming out of the pen or maybe starting. Heck, Sunday, we might be starting Josh Smoker. I don't know. Seth Lugo and Stephen Matz are supposed to be coming back soon. Neither has looked good in the rehab starts. At least, you know, I'm starting to scout, scouting at the stat line here, which I'm going to get yelled at for, but I don't watch minor league games. So, 
right now it's just are they better than Tommy Malone, Tommy Malone which is probably because heck I'm probably better than Tommy Malone at this point and they're seven and a half out of the NL East they're six and a half out of the wild card because the National League is still really bad and once again and I said this last week and I'm probably gonna say this next week too the Mets are very likely going to find themselves in the middle of the wild card race come September because the rest of the, the league is so bad. And they're not going to have earned it and they're not going to deserve it. But I don't think this team is going to sell because they've got pieces. But I think they're going to put up a fight. And you come in October, you come in one game playoff, you're still probably going to have Syndergaard left. So they won last night. They you know, I don't know if they if you don't sweep the Padres, you're probably doing something really wrong with your life at this point. So hopefully by the time you all hear this, they'll have at least have a little bit of a win streak. They probably won't. folks that does it for another installment of amazing avenue audio thank you so much for listening we truly appreciate it for this podcast and for plenty of other amazing mets content please go to amazingavenue.com you can also find the site on facebook instagram and twitter at amazing avenue please rate review and subscribe to the show in apple podcasts in stitcher in your podcatcher of choice those uh, reviews and ratings really do help us get the word out about the show so we'd appreciate it if you took the time to do that uh we'll be your best friends forever we promise uh, you can also find uh, the show on blogtalkradio.com where you can download it directly. Or uh, if you just Google Amazing Avenue Audio, I'm sure you'll come across something. You can, of course, also podca- uh, email the show at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. We love taking your questions, so please keep those coming. And last but certainly not least, you can follow all of our contributors on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Steve is at Steve Sipa. Steve Schreiber is at S Schreiber13. Caitlin is at KAM3194. And Kate Feldman is at Kate E. Feldman. Oh, I almost forgot our returning champion, Brian Renzi, is at BRENZ78. So, um, as I say every week, by the time you hear this, hopefully the Mets have won lots of games. And hopefully we are uh, on the way back to a uh, playoff appearance. So, until next time, let's go Mets.